you're speaking to our hearts this morning. God, through our music. God, as we open up your word, we pray our hearts and minds will be receptive to hear what you have to say to us. God, that we'll be responsive enough that we'll not only hear it, but that we'll obey and do what you're telling us to do. God, make yourself known to us in this hour. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Wayne, band. 390 years ago, the uh, pilgrims, our forefathers, celebrated what was going to become our first Thanksgiving uh, in, in the history of our country. Of course, it's proceeded to what it is today. They got together with local Indians, and they ate a lot, and they played games, and they, uh, they worshiped God together for, for three or four days. It was a great celebration, a great holiday. And, you know, really what makes it more unique, if you know the history, is things weren't really that great uh, for them in many ways. Uh, one year earlier, they had arrived to what we call now America with 110 people. Within about six months, half of them were dead. They had starved. They had died of disease. They had died of uh, exposure. It had been very, very tough. But they had ran into some local Indians who helped them, and they certainly believed that God had blessed them and helped them. And so they were setting aside this time to worship Him and to thank God. And, you know, as you look at that, I think there's two fundamental things that were right about the pilgrims that made them able to look at the horrible adversity they had faced and to establish what we call our first Thanksgiving. And this morning, that's what I want us to look at uh, from the 100th Psalm. Most of you are familiar with this. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Shout unto the Lord. Uh, A great psalm. But... Our ability to make the most out of the junk, our ability to celebrate and worship God today and Thursday and every day of our life depends on, it rests on the the two big things being right that we're going to see this morning, on these two big. And you look and you think about, again, these people and the problems they have. Let me ask you, do you have some problems this morning? Any of you have some issues or concerns? Wow, not very many. That's awesome, man. The offering ought to be great today, and uh, uh, I'll be expecting some wonderful Christmas presents because everybody's doing great. The truth is the pilgrims had problems, and you have problems. I, I read a story this week from the, a suburb in, of New York City They talked about this horrible problem that they had. Now, I'm not making this up. You thought New Yorkers were sissies before uh, I tell this story. You're going to really think this. Wild turkeys are terrorizing in this certain neighborhood. Wild turkeys, no kidding. Uh, A lady recently was in her car, and a group of turkeys, a flock of turkeys, gathered around her car, jumped on her car and pecked, and she had to use her windshield wiper fluid to scare them off. And the city council has met. They don't know what to do. They discovered some lady 10 years ago had nine wild turkeys, and she let them loose in the area. And now they believe there's 100 wild turkeys, and these New Yorkers do not know what to do. You know what? I've got the solution. All they have to... I could get 10 guys from Ruston today, 
we could go up there, and I promise you this time next week, there would not be a turkey problem in that area. Wouldn't you agree? Sometimes other people's problems are kind of frivolous compared to ours, but problems are problems, and they are real. And how do we develop an attitude of gratitude? How do we live a life of thankfulness in the midst of the junk that goes around us? Again, it it depends on the big two being right. And we see this in Psalms 100. What's the first of the big two? It's your heart. It's your heart. Not your physical heart, as important as it is for that to be heart, but your spiritual heart. Folks, the Bible talks about your spiritual heart as being the center of your being. It's it's who you genuinely are. And it starts in verse 3. It says, know that the Lord is God. Folks, the, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And this Hebrew word know here is a significant word. It literally means to know by experience. Do you get that? To know by experience. And to know someone by experience so much that it leads to a confession or a profession from your mouth and your life that, yes, I know this God. I want to ask you this morning, do you know God experientially today? Almost every one of us in here knows God intellectually in this room. We can argue the Bible to some degree. We know and we would say, yes, Jesus is Lord. He died. He arose. We know those intellectual facts. But do you genuinely know Jesus Christ from a personal encounter and experience? That's what the Scriptures are talking about here. Does Jesus live in you? Listen, so many of the problems in our families, our lives, our churches, our workplace stems because we don't have the heart right when it comes to God. I'm I'm absolutely right on that. That's the truth. There was a little boy who went to the doctor. This boy was sick, had a good uh, pediatrician trying to, to love the boy and to talk to him as he worked with him. And he, he stuck something in his ear, and he looked around, and he said, uh, are there any birds in there? And the little boy laughed said, no, there's no birds in there. And he, he looked down his throat, and he said, uh, what's in there? Is there any bats in there? And the little boy laughed said, no, there's no bats in there. And he got a stethoscope, and he put it on his heart, and he could hear that little heart thumping. And, and he said, is Barney the dinosaur in there? And without missing a beat, the little boy said, No, Jesus is in here. Barney's on my underwear. (laughs) Now, I think I speak for my congregation this morning. We really love you, but we don't want to hear about you and your underwear today. But I sincerely ask you, is Jesus Christ in your heart? Is Jesus in your heart? Why do you have so much problems with people? Why do you struggle spiritually and you never seem to get past a certain point with God? Why is there a lack of compassion and love and kindness in you? You know what it comes back to? It comes back to a heart problem. You see, in the South, we have been inundated intellectually with religion, and we've got a lot of God here, but for a lot of people, it's not made that 12-inch trip down here. It begins when he says, know that the Lord is God. Do you know God experientially this morning? Are you willing to bet this morning, this afternoon, that by the way you know God today, that if you left this earth this afternoon, that you would spend eternity in heaven with him? 
you know you're betting that one way or another, whether you realize it or not? Do you know God personally? It all begins there. How do you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, you get your wife to cook some good stuff, no doubt about it. Your team wins. But gratitude and all those things begin when the heart's right with God. Here's the second thing, and, and that's a right frame of mind. A right frame of mind. Your thoughts or your mindsets. It's neat in this, this beautiful, familiar psalm. God lays out five things about himself to you and me that if we would dwell on, if we would, again, let sink from our head to our heart, these aren't just theological truths to be able to debate or to spew forth, but to let really shape you and bless you. Here's the first thing he says. God says to you and me this morning, I created you. In verse 3, know that the Lord is God. Know from your own experience that the Lord is God. It is He who made us. We are His. The biblical word made there literally means to fashion something. In the 139th Psalm, it says about you and me that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Folks, you are not an accident. You are not an illegitimate uh, child or an illegitimate birth. There may be illegitimate relationships, but there's no such thing as an illegitimate human being. Every person here is made by God. I love what Ethel Waters said, and I quote her. She said, I know I'm special because God made me, and God ain't never made any junk. Isn't that good? You know, this morning I can tell you that you're special, and I can tell you that the Bible says here, that you are a special creation of God. What a wonderful thing to get a hold of this morning, this Thursday, every day of your life that, that God himself made you, fashioned you, formed you. And that makes you uniquely special. But not only that, God says that we have a unique relationship with him. We, we belong to him uniquely if you're a Christian. Now, the great news is if you're not a Christian, you can become one this morning, and you can enter into this. But as a Christian, we belong to God uniquely. In verse 3, it is he who made us. We are his people. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, I grew up around cows and, and dogs and hogs and chickens. I, I didn't grow up around sheep. And, and I don't know, some of you may have, but most of the part of the world we live in, there's not a lot of sheep. But in, in reading and, and talking to people who've been around sheep, here's what you hear. And by the way, the Old Testament and the New Testament compares you and me to sheep. That sheep are, are pretty helpless, they're needy, they're stubborn, and they're not very good at defending themselves when it gets right down to it. Eh. Couldn't God have compared us to a lion? No, a sheep. And God compares himself to the shepherd. The good shepherd of the Bible was one that deeply, deeply loved his flock. Now, I look at that and I go, okay, God made me. I'm a sheep. Sheep are defenseless, dumb, stubborn. Thanks a lot, God. What's special about that? Well, here's something I read this week that I thought was so good. Yeah, sheep got a lot of goofiness about them. But sheep were the most prized thing in ancient Israel. 
They were the source of their wealth and their revenue and their livelihood. And that shepherds that men spent their whole lives looking after and tending these, these sheep. They would even give their lives for these sheep. You know, that kind of put a different twist on it for me because it reminded me that you and I, as God's sheep, yeah, we're defenseless, we got a lot of issues, but man, we're the apple of God's eye. We are, we are His treasure, and He is our shepherd. This, this next week in Washington, D.C., President Obama will be facing a life-and-death issue. Now, he may face 15 this week, but the one he faces that I'm talking about involves turkeys. Did you know there's been a tradition for years that 30 turkeys are set aside uh, for a... Well, that turkey did not get pardoned, did it? And that looks pretty good, too. Kyle, you better get that off the screen. We're too near lunchtime for them to look at that and lust the rest of the sermon. But what, what they will do, they will bring this week, they've got 30 turkeys they brought to Washington. They will bring two to the White House. And then President Obama, and I'm, I'm assuming his children and maybe Michelle, they'll go out there and they will, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and they'll pick one that will be pardoned. And that one will get to live the rest of its life at Mount Vernon, which was George Washington's resident. The other turkey and the other 28 turkeys that didn't even get to make the trip to the White House they are spending their Thanksgiving at local soup kitchens around Washington, T.C., not as pets, but as the main dish. One out of 30 gets pardoned, which would be a great thing if you were that one. But you know what? The, the odds aren't very good. I mean, if God was to come in here today and he was to count off 30 people and go, one of you is going to heaven, the other 29, <laughs> hell's in your future. I don't know about you, but I'd sure be elbowing my way to the front. You see, here's what God said. God said, listen, I want to pardon the whole bunch of you. The whole bunch of you, we're all sinners. We've all fallen. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world, not just the one out of the 30. That word world means the sum total of individuals that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe would not perish. And in 1 John 2, 2, it says Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only our sins, but for the sins of the world. Isn't this a great thing that if you are a Christian today, you uniquely belong to God. You are a pardoned child of God. Isn't that great? And the, the next great thing besides that, if you're not a Christian, you can become one today by choosing to place your faith in Christ before we leave here this hour. That's good stuff. Man, we uniquely belong to God. And not only is that good, but God tells us this, that God's good. That we serve a God who is wonderfully, genuinely good. Look in verse 5. For the Lord is good. Folks, that word good there literally means beautiful or cheerful or joyful. Man, isn't it? think about this. Our God is a wonderful, cheerful God. Now, I know that has to make some people mad. They want an angry God as long as he's not angry at them. They want a mad, retributive God, and God certainly is holy and just. But it says here in black and white print that God is wonderful and beautiful and good. 
And it goes on and it tells us he's not only that, he's wonderfully loving. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. That word love there means his loving kindness and his mercy. (laughs) You know what? We've got a pretty good God, don't we? We've got a pretty good God. You don't think that matters, man? That matters how God is. Everything falls on how God is. And he wraps it up in a pretty bow, and he tells us this. These are things that will never change. Verse 5, his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. In other words, God says this. If you belong to me, man, you are uniquely my child. I am your loving, good, faithful God, creator forever. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and not be good. Fifty years, I'm going to not, I'm going to wake up and not be loving. God says forever, perpetually, without end, non-changing, God says, I am a good and merciful and loving God. You know what? That's pretty good stuff. And, And I think what he's trying to get us to do is to get our minds and our hearts around who God is. Because when these two things are right, everything else falls from that. Health Magazine several years ago had a a pretty lengthy article about happiness. And they tried to answer the question, what's the key to happiness? Is it circumstance or is it attitude? They they debated it back and forth. But the obvious thing they came to the conclusion was it's attitude. Now, that doesn't mean when you have the stomach virus or you lose somebody you love that you don't have certain dips and downs that are very natural. But, but what the article was trying to say was that real happiness is, is never found and kept out there. It's got to be found and kept in here. Did you get that? We look for it out here, don't we? We chase it out here. But real happiness, gratitude, is found in here. And it's found when, when our heart is right and our mind's focused on the right things. By the way, things like God is wonderful, He's good, He's loving. And when we let these things sink from our head to our heart and become a, who, a part of what we are, great things, dynamic things happen when we do these things. When the big two, your head and your heart, are really right, great things happen. What happened in this psalm? What happens in your life and in my life when the head and the heart are right? First thing is enthusiastic worship. In verse 1, it says, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Let me tell you a funny thing. This word shout here, shout for joy, it literally means to split the ears with sound. Is that not interesting? I don't really want my ears split with sound. But you know what? I think that's a, Wayne, that's probably a sophisticated way of saying get after it. I mean, when you sing, when you worship God, that it's okay to let it go and to let it out. In London, England, a few years ago, a church literally got a, a letter from the city government telling them they needed to tune it down in their worship services. Now, when I read this at first, I thought maybe these people were parking their cars 
in other people's driveways or, you know, being rude when they'd come out putting garbage or leaving their stuff on the, the neighbor's yards around the church. That wasn't it at all. When they were worshiping God, they were singing and praising God so loudly, it was rocking the neighborhood. And I said to myself, wouldn't it be great for the mayor to send us a letter and say, Pastor, please pull it down just a little bit. You're waking up the slackers who are sleeping in on Sunday. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Verse 2 through 4, he continues this little diatribe. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Rod Cooper was a chaplain at one time. He's a minister and he was a chaplain for the Houston Astros baseball team and for the old Houston Oilers football team. How many of you even remember the name Houston Oilers? Well, more than I thought. Houston Oilers are now the Tennessee Titans. My wife's favorite team was the Houston Oilers, and now she's a Titan fan, and it's been a miserable several years for her uh, in the NFL season. But Rod Cooper was the chaplain for the Astros and the old Oilers. And he said when, when he was a chaplain, he'd be at the games in Houston, and, you know, a, a guy would hit a home run. He said the place would go crazy. And back when the old Astros were playing, uh, Earl Campbell, the great running back, would run a touchdown and run over 20 people, including his own people, to get to the end zone. And the place would go crazy. And then Rod said, I would go preach on Sunday morning somewhere. And I would tell people, God is good and God loves you. And God has what you need. And I'd have to snap my fingers to keep them awake. And he said, something's wrong with that. And he's right. Now, we don't want to turn a church service into a pep rally. But it ought to be a little more peppy. You see, when the head and the heart's right, God says enthusiastic worship just comes naturally. It's okay Thursday for you to get a little excited when you express thanksgiving. It's okay for us in church to be a little more expressive. It's okay when you're by yourself, as long as there's nobody can hear you, that you sing loud unless you've got a good voice. Or, or you praise God with a loud voice. Heaven is not going to be a dull, serious, uptight place. It's just not. Many Christians will be unhappy, no doubt about it. But it is going to be a place of life. When the head and the heart get right, enthusiastic worship is an overflow of that. And the next thing that, that, that comes very naturally, too, from this is, is joyful service. Joyful service. In verse 2, it says, worship the Lord with gladness. Some translations translate that, serve the Lord with gladness. And they're both right. But that word worship there literally means to work or to serve. And, and, and what I think God's showing us there is something we've talked about several times the last few weeks. When you worship God, it is just the natural overflow to serve God and to serve people. Real worship always affects behavior. We might say it starts here 
and it comes out here. You're, you're not worshiping. And you're not worshiping when you raise your hand and praise God and you walk out of church 30 minutes later, stick your nose up the air, and won't speak to anybody. I am very much for raising your hands. I am very against sticking up your nose. It affects behavior. It affects how we do life. You see, on Thursday when you're wondering why isn't somebody doing something, do something yourself. And fussing in normal, is that considered doing something? Criticizing, while I was just telling everybody what they were doing wrong, that's my job. Thank you, Satan. Sorry. Where in the Bible is the gift of telling everybody they're doing something wrong? You see, man, when we have an encounter with God, and the head and the heart get right, enthusiastic worship is a natural overflow, and joyful service is just a part of that too. And listen, this gratitude, this thankfulness stuff, is not just good religious talk. It's good stuff. It's right stuff. Reader's Digest had an article a year or two back that talked about the benefits of gratitude, the benefits of, of praise. And, and I would throw in here praise and worship and thankfulness. That people who are gracious and thankful, they sleep better. They exercise more. It's good for your blood pressure. This is a shocker. They're more optimistic. They're more empathetic or caring. And they have a tendency to treat people better than ingrates treat people. You see, when God told these people 3,000 years ago to shout to the Lord, make a joyful noise, get enthusiastic in your worship. Remember, it always comes from the right head and the right heart. He was not just giving us religious commands. He was telling us to do things that are not only right, but that will bless you so much for doing them. Let's pray. Christian, how, how are we doing with these things? And what do we need to do this morning to get lined up with these things? You're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You're unsure of that today. On this wonderful day, why don't you give your life to Christ? Cross that line. Make sure. Pray with me where you're seated and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you're the Son of God who, who died and arose for me. And today, today I'm asking you to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention just for a second. 
just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand and respond to what we've talked about today. Maybe this morning you ask Christ in your heart, or maybe you're ready to do so. We'll be down here waiting on you. Come this morning. Let us help you with this most important of decisions. Maybe you'd like to join our church family this morning. One way you can do that is by coming in a moment. We'll be down here waiting on you. We'd love to help you with that decision. You come and do that today. Christian, where you're seated, where you'll be standing or at the altar, on your knee, maybe on your face, before God today, will you say to God, God, get my head right, get my heart right, that I might worship and live for you in a way that honors you and brings others to you. Christians, say that to God today. Let's stand and just bow our heads. As the Lord leads you this morning, respond to Him.